Christ. How are you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Hey, I'm, I'm doing incredible. I couldn't wait to, to speak tonight and continue this series, this collection of conversation on the DNA of God. And more importantly, as we sink a little deeper in what that means, the DNA of Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no other person, there's, there's, there's no other perspective that can get to the Father but through Jesus. And so we're going to talk about Jesus because we believe in Jesus. Last week we talked about the humanity that he's not far in distance. He's not um, like, we, we can't just like, oh, like where is God? And, and he's, he's, he's away from our emotion, our feeling. Like he doesn't understand what we're going through. But yet he sent his son Jesus as a human to understand every fabric of life, every detail of life that we get to participate and understand that, oh, Jesus gets it. He's gone through it. He understands it. And tonight, I want to talk about Jesus as the teacher, as the rabbi. And to be honest, this is an incredible exploration and, and perspective to understand that Jesus, as he walked on earth, as he moved, as he spoke, what he was doing, his main purpose was to teach us something. Yes, it was the cross, and that was the ultimate mission, but along the way, there was something that Jesus was trying to accomplish, and he was teaching something. I would go as far to say that I, I truly believe this. Scholars will argue it. Theologians will argue it. I believe that Jesus is the greatest teacher that has ever walked upon this planet. Amen, Amen Grandma Liz. The scripture says in Luke chapter 6, it says, can the blind lead the blind? Well, of course not, right? This is what I love about Jesus. He, he was, I believe, um, intuitive in such a way. If you look at Myers-Briggs, I really do believe he was an N. He, had in, like, he loved metaphors. He loved, he loved to talk in, in such a way that would kind of, you'd have to think really deep in order to get it. And Jesus shares this parable, a really short one. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Of course not. Will they not both fall into a pit? Well, of course, I mean, Jesus, yeah, if like there was a blind man and there was another blind man, there's no way on earth that they can lead anything. They're both without sight. They have no foresight. They have no vision of what's in front of them, both like in, in a literal sense. The student is not above the teacher, Jesus says, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So here's what I've noticed about just that small little parable of Jesus, the whole point of apprenticeship, and I bring up the word apprenticeship, is because when you look at the Bible, in a lot of ways it can be complex. So you look at it first in its original language, which is, if we're looking at the New Testament, it's Greek. And then from Greek, what happened was they translated in Latin, and then from Latin, we have now English. So there's three stages that it went through. When you're looking at the word discipleship, it sounds so foreign and unknown, and to be honest, it sounds so traditional. But if we were to take in 2020, 2019, what does that word truly mean to us in our day and age? How, how do, can we grasp the reality that Jesus is our teacher, we are his disciple? That is true and that is a fact. But what is it about disciple that we need to take away so that we can fully live out what God's calling us to live? And I would argue it's the word apprentice. I know electricians that go through an apprenticeship. Sometimes it's three years or four years. I know technicians that have to go through something and they have a teacher who's walking them through things. I know my wife right now is going through, I would say, an apprenticeship as she's 
did the elementary and fourth grade, and now she's in kindergarten, and she's walking alongside a teacher, and the teacher says, this is how I want you to do it, this is how you should do it, and then Kelly then steps in, and now there's this conversation of apprenticeship, of teaching. And so when I look at the word discipleship, to be honest, I have to, in my 2019 perspective, I have to say, yes, discipleship, but that's, a, that's an ancient word term. I like to use the word apprenticeship. I think it's pretty close to the, the true meaning when you look at our context. So the whole point of apprenticeship is to become like your teacher. That's what this verse is saying. So it takes training. A logical person would say, if Jesus said, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher, then, then fully trained must mean that there is a way to be partially trained. And I don't know about you, but I know of people that are following Jesus that live in such a way where they, they perceive to be partially trained. It's like, what are you, like, if we're going to have a rabbi and we're going to have someone that's a teacher, let's like do it all, all out. Let's be fully trained, not partially trained. And then it takes time. Those three things. You want to become like your teacher and fully trained, and you, it's going to take time to do it. John chapter 1 says, I love this. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples, two of his apprenticeships, apprentices. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. This is John the Baptist, by the way. When the two disciples heard him say this, they stopped following John the Baptist, like poor John in this moment. They stopped following John the Baptist, and they went over and started following Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus turning around. I love this. We can miss this. I could just preach just on this right here. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he said, what do you want? I believe the great question of your soul, Jesus is asking to you, is what do you want? What, what, like, what's really there? Why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why do you come in community? Why do you come and worship? Why are you what are you curious about? What do you want? They said, I love this, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like, we want to do life with you, Jesus. Where are you staying? Can I come with you? Can I, can I do that? Yeah. Come, he replied, and you will see, which I believe is the greatest journey of spiritual faith. It's just come and see. Matthew says this. I have a couple verses for you if that's okay. I mean, we're in church. We might as well read the scriptures, right? So I have a couple verses because there has to be, I have to paint this in such a way that we can fully grasp what it means that Jesus is our rabbi, that Jesus is our teacher. Matthew says this. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. That was their profession. That was their career. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Another translation says, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And I just need to kind of park here for a moment and do some like biblical exegesis just so you understand this. It's, it's really imperative that we get this. We can use this language that like we're supposed to be fishers of men and it sounds great, but it kind of sounds cheesy. That wasn't what Jesus was trying to do. If we were to go back in that day and age, it was a first century Hebrew idiom, a figure of speech for a great teacher. Do you know that? He would capture men and women, those that would fish for men, those that were fishers of men. That type of rabbi would capture and captivate those that were following him with imagination and with vigor and with 
an expression in a certain walk. He would capture men and women's minds and imagination. Jesus is saying, therefore, I am a great teacher. Follow me and I will make you a great teacher of men and women. So I wrote this down because this is really what Jesus has tried to articulate throughout his entire ministry, his entire life, and what I believe he's trying to always express to us in the scriptures. I am dumbfounded and blown away, if I could be honest, when I look at the church and, and see that we're, there's so many types of, un, like, of perspectives of judgment out there. It, it literally drives me crazy. It's like, do we really read about like, what Jesus did? Because we can read about what Jesus did, and it could be great, and it could be amazing, and it could be wonderful, and we can write about it, and we can preach about it. But if we're not living it out, it means nothing. But the way that Jesus lived his life out, I believe it was caught rather than taught. Now, hear, hear me out. There's many moments where Jesus taught things. But I would, I would say there's so much more moments where he was doing something, and people were catching it. He was trying to get something across to us. And I shared this with the team beforehand, but you have to understand, Jesus doesn't see life linear. Yes, he was human. Yes, he put away his God card. But in this particular space and time, Jesus still knew where we would be in 2020. He knew that. So I believe he was very articulate. He was very careful. He, he was very wise with, the, with every word that he spoke about. That's why I don't believe he spoke much on politics. In fact, there's one thing he said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Because he knew it was much bigger than politics. Yet if we just knew all these scriptures about Jesus and politics, we would just part on whatever side that he said, and then we would make this big rigmarole. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew his assignment, and he was the greatest teacher. Culture is caught, not taught. Isn't that true? I don't know about you, but when you walk into any environment, when I walk into Chick-fil-A, there's a certain culture. What is that term they always say? I love, I love to. What is it? My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. That's culture. That's language. Someone taught that to them. When I walk into Chick-fil-A, I feel like I'm being really taken care of. When you walk into In-N-Out, it's the same thing. You just know they're going to take care of you. When you walk into certain spaces and places, when you, when you come into church, my prayer for our team is that every person that comes in here would feel loved and welcomed. We say you do not have to believe to belong, and if our life reflects anything outside of that, then we're not following the culture. We're not doing what the drive and the vision and the mission is. So it's caught rather than taught. Does that make sense? Jesus does this in Matthew 4. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching. There it is. He teaches. He teaches in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, like beyond Israel, beyond Jerusalem, Beyond, the scripture says, the decapitate, like he, it's just like spreading like wildfire. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds, notice, large crowds. From Galilee, the Decapolis, which was just uh, 
culmination of 10 cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. The whole point of saying that is when you look at ancient times, this is you, you, how you could, if, if you miss this, it's really, it's not good. Please don't miss this. When Jesus walked on earth 2,000 plus years ago, there was a perspective of rabbinic teaching. There were rabbis that, that had, had lived their life in such a way that they could teach the, the scriptures. And, and this was the custom of the Hebrew, Un, unlike the Greek. The Greek is, we do that today. You sit in a, in a, in a chair, Kelly teaches the little kids, and you get up and you go, and then every day the, you sit down, you listen, and then you do. You sit down, you listen. That's the Greek way of learning. The Hebrew said, no, we're not doing it like that. Come and follow me. I'm going to show you everything. I'm going to show you how to talk. I'm going to show you the way to present yourself. So the greatest rabbis would do that. Now, kid, this, this is amazing. Like, look it up. Do your own biblical due diligence because it blows my mind. I love this about Jesus because he was a revolutionist. He changed it all. The way that it was in, in, in normal tradition, that's why I'm so incredibly passionate about the church being innovative because Jesus was innovative. I think the church should be creative because Jesus was creative. I think that should be our culture, that we should model that because Jesus modeled it. He was, he was done with the traditions. The traditions were important, but it wasn't everything to Jesus. The tradition of a rabbi is to go, hey, Will, I, like, Will would find me and say, hey, Sammy, you're a rabbi. Can I be under your teaching? And I would make a decision, yes or no. Oh, I don't know. You need to have a certain, like, do you know the Torah? Like, do you have it memorized? I need you to recite it. That was kind of the, the student would go to the rabbi. But Jesus flips it, and he says, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to find you. So when he sees John, when he sees Peter, Doing their job, he goes to them. So wherever you're at right now, stop saying that you need to come to Jesus. You do, yes, but he's coming to you. I would argue that he's already chasing you. There have been so many times and moments in my life where I'm talking to people across the canyon at Canterbury, Canterbury, and I'm talking, and it's like, it's really interesting, and there's, there's certain things that they're saying, and I just, I got unapologetic. I was like, I think Jesus is chasing you. I think, I think God's after you. You know, I was sitting in my, I remember I'll never forget a girl was saying, you know, because she heard Koi and all this stuff. She's like, yeah, you know, I was in my car and I was listening to like some, like that church music and I just felt something in the car. I don't know what that was, like if it was a certain aura or, you know, I, I just wasn't sure. And, and I just said, it's Jesus and he's chasing you. Jesus comes to you as the student. You don't have to come to him. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher, another teacher of the law, came to him and asked, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm, a, I'm coming to you, teacher. I'm going to follow you wherever. Notice there were, I would say, thousands of people that were following Jesus. They just wanted to be on his team. Like, would you pick me, Jesus? Would you pick me? Like, I, you're doing all these miracles. I want to be a part of that. Would you pick me? So a teacher of the law came to him and asked, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Translation, I'm homeless. I don't have a place to live. Can you follow me? Can you come do life with me? Because you're going to live with me when I wake up in the morning and I pray, you're going to pray. When I eat, you're going to eat. The way I talk, I'm going to teach you everything, but you gotta, can, 
Can you do that? Can you leave everything? You can't miss this one either because we've, we've made this one out to seem like it's a negative connotation, but Jesus, is, he's painting something bigger. It's, it's bigger than what he's trying to say. It's called a hyperbole, okay? It says another disciple asked him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That sounds really harsh, right? Jesus is just trying to say, I, I just, you got to be willing to really follow me like all of me. Because imagine hundreds of people wanting to be on his team. He needed to make a certain standard, right? You have to be willing with all heart, with all passion, with everything. Are you willing to jump city to city to city with me? If not, it's going to be hard to follow me. Now, again, this is ancient times. It's much different today. But he's getting the point across because people kept saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. Matthew 9 says, I love this. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew's an incredible, important, important person to understand in the New Testament scriptures. He was one of the disciples, but the, the key component of Matthew is he was a tax collector. If you don't know anything about tax collectors, you just have to know that, that Matthew was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He was born and raised in that land, in that time. That was who he was. It was his, his identity. He was a Hebrew man, but he was working for the Roman Empire to downplay his very people. Everyone couldn't stand the Romans. They could not stand the Romans, let alone a tax collector. We kind of already don't like the IRS. <laughs> but just imagine your own family, your own people coming to you, and you don't know if they're taking too much or too little. And so Matthew would go. He was sitting at this very moment in the setting and time, in this picture, in this perspective. He was sitting at a table outside of the lake. So when people would catch fish, they would come in, but they'd have to get taxed on the fish. Matthew was the tax collector collecting the funds. And so Jesus comes up to him. He always goes to you, right? Everyone hates him. The Pharisees hate tax collectors. The religious people hate tax collectors. The teachers of the day, they don't have that person as a disciple or an apprentice. Then a teacher of the law came wherever you go. Uh, sorry, he was, he was a Jew working for the Roman Empire. So then verse um, 9 says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many Tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his, and his disciples. Remember, caught, not taught. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why on earth does your rabbi, your teacher, eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who, this is a declaration for our culture, by the way. Like, if you don't get this, you're missing Jesus. If you speak any other language than this, you're missing Jesus. This is my rabbi. I would hope he's yours too. If he's your teacher, if you say I want to be an apprentice of Jesus, then you actually have to live and do the things he says to do. If you're okay with that, then follow him. But like, not partially, fully. This is what he says to the ostracized in our communities. This is what he says to people that are hated. This is what he says to people that aren't understood in our culture. I think he would say this to Kanye West. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I, I've come to call the sinners. So if you're righteous, you don't need me. 
You don't need me. You don't, you don't need me to hold your hand because you got it all together. I was having this conversation with Nelson the other day, and we were talking about this deep theological perspective of the different sin and the, how Jesus kind of saw different, different levels of sin. And one of them blew my mind when Nelson said this, and I was like, man, that's so true. One of the sins that we hold, and it's pretty simplistic, it's just, it's, it's the stuff that we got to just get rid of at times. If we're being honest, if you want to live a certain life, then we probably shouldn't be living a certain way, right? We want to live in, in a way that, that is desiring righteousness, that's desiring kindness, desiring goodness. We want to live that type of life. And so there's certain things in our lives that we have to be okay to get rid of. But Jesus wasn't so concerned about those things. If he was, he wouldn't have had Matthew on his team. He's more concerned about the deceit in your heart. Do you make it out to seem like you've got it all together? Or are there things in your life that you need to work out? Are you lying to yourself when you look in the mirror? Or are you real? One of the things I love about certain people in our community, they just are honest. Hey, man, I'm so sorry, bro. Like, I've just been going through this. Instead of just being like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, I, sorry I haven't seen you. But there's like a real genuine heart posture. No, man, I'm going through all these things. And, I, and, I, and now I say, hey, that's actually the greatest place you could be. Keep working on what you're doing. But Jesus would rather you be honest with yourself. I'm talking about the rabbi. The rabbi says that. Jesus says that. So point being, some of the people who follow Jesus are really messed up. <laughs> like really messed up. Matthew made it on the team. Jesus must have, must have been really, like, like, desperate. Honestly, that's what the Pharisees thought. What are you doing? And then you go and have dinner with them? And then you go and, like, dinner in that, in that custom of ancient time is to say, I, I'm welcoming you in my life and at my table. Come do life with me. We're talking about sinners and tax collectors, the lowest scum of that culture. Jesus says, no, no, no. You got a place at the table. That'll throw your theology. That'll, that'll flip the script. That's Jesus saying, I didn't come for religion. I came for a relationship. Matthew 9 says, when Jesus went throughout the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And when he saw them, um, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, he said to his apprentices, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. Now, go there with me. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about the northern part of Israel, which is pretty big, the, the, the southern part of Israel, the Judea part of Israel. We're talking about all of where the, or surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And now he's talking about places in Syria and across in Jordan. It's a big area to cover. Thousands of people are needing help. They're sick, they're wounded, they're broken, they have scars, they are in desperate need of a physician. So Jesus says, guys, this is too big for me to handle. We need to pray to the Father for laborers. Pray to God that he would send more people so that we can go and do the work that we're called to do. And I, if I'm being honest, I pray that to, to Jesus all the time. You might be in this room in answered prayer. I wonder if you're in answered prayer in this room. Because we're, we're trying to continue to move the ball forward. 
and we're not doing it for any other purpose, for any other reason, but to be sent out as missionaries. And that's what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord for the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Send is lost into translation from English, there it is, to Latin, to Greek. That word send is where we get the word mission. Mission. Hence, where we get the word missionary. All a missionary is, is someone who is sent out to do the work of God. Doesn't matter the place that you're sent. So from Jesus, Jesus is saying, pray like I need more missionaries. Matthew 10 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names. Here it is, the 12 disciples. First, Simon, who is called Peter. His brother, Andrew. James, son of Zebedee. His brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas, the tax collector. Matthew made it. Like he made it on the roster. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. I love that name, Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, the the, the, the Judas guy that betrayed Jesus. These 12, Jesus sent out the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. This is the message of God, by the way. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. I love this. Freely you have received, now freely give. Matthew 28, this is my last one, by the way. When then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the very end of the story of Jesus. After he, was, he died and he rose again, he's now saying this to his people. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is so important that we get this, that we get this. No, no, now, now like, let me geek out for just like a couple moments because I think this is so cool. There is an era of time called the Enlightenment. You guys hear that? Remember? I don't know if you've read about it, studied about it, had to write about it. The Enlightenment period. And it was a time where logic became incredibly high. Logic, the understanding of logic. So then there was a separation in America between the natural and the supernatural. I can't stand that perspective, by the way. I think we're both. But there was a separation in the Enlightenment period. It said there is natural and there is supernatural. The supernatural can do its own supernatural thing, but the natural, we're going to kind of get big on this. We're going to be logicians, big on logic, big on understanding. There was philosophical expressions, a movement in the 18th century characterized by belief in the power of human reason. So what does that say about the Bible then? Because that's completely contrary to it. You see, I believe that there was a, a knee-jerk reaction in, in the 18th 19th century, in the 18th century, from faith theologians, from Christians, and they said, all right, all right, all right. Everyone's saying in the Enlightenment period that it's, it's, it's supernatural and it's natural, so, so what we need to do is really study and really push the supernatural movement of Jesus. So write books on it, write commentaries on it, study it, analyze it, and we're going to put this on full display. We're pushing back on these, this Enlightenment period. Jesus is supernatural. Is that true? Yes. What did that do, though? It created a ripple effect where if someone has just mentioned the name of Jesus, you just get so annoyed by it. Oh, 
He comes to heal and to save. Yeah, he's just, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. It's supernatural, supernatural. So what we did is then we separated ourselves and separated Jesus as being human. This Jesus separated, he put away his God card in the Gospels. You have to get this. The one that was leading him and guiding him was the Holy Spirit. So then we have the same power and authority as Jesus did. He was not God in that moment. I don't want that to hurt your theology, but he he put away his God card. Yes, he was fully man, and yes, he was fully God. But as he walked throughout the Gospels, he was continually being filled by the Spirit. And then he would go, and he would cast out demons. By the way, he sent out 70 to say, all right, I've trained you. You've seen me. You've You've caught it. Go and do this. Peter, you go to this region. James, go to this region. We're going to come back and we're going to report. We don't have time to read about that. But he did that with people like you and me, not Jesus. So the enlightenment period pushed away the natural of Jesus. It's incredibly imperative that we realize that Jesus, he lived in the world and he was a human being. He hurt like we hurt. We talked about that last week. So... Here's the pattern of Jesus. Jesus as rabbi to teach. Rabbi, Jesus starts to call as apprentice or disciples. Then Jesus starts to copy. Then we start to copy the life of Jesus and the practices of Jesus. And as a result, his disciples are changed. Therefore, he sends them out and then they come back and report. And at the very end, Jesus says, I think you're ready. Go and make disciples. Go throughout all the regions. Go and spread the gospel. So here it is. This is, I think we have this up here, the four stages of leadership. Any, anyone that loves leadership, this is for you. This, here's the four stages of apprenticeship. The, one, the first is I do, you watch. Do we have that up there? Oh, there it is. Wow, that looks cool, Kelly. Wow. <laughs> Kelly does all that, by the way. It's amazing. Come on. So four stages. I do, you watch. Jesus is saying, all right, I'm going to do this. It's caught, not, and just watch. Just watch how I do it. I'm going to sit with people that are, that are scum of the earth, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, and I'm going to love them through it. Watch me as I do this. As the Pharisees mock us, as the religious people make fun of us, it does not matter. Just watch. And then he says, I do, you help. Now help me. Help me. Peter, pray, pray for this person as I pray for him. Peter Uh, James, uh, John, come and do what I'm doing. And then you do, I help. Now it's your turn. Go for it. Go for it. And I'll, I'll help you when you need it. And the last and the ultimate goal of leadership and apprenticeship is you do and now I watch. You do, I watch. I believe this is the call of every person that would say, I want to follow Jesus. This is the step, this is the progression, this is the call, this is the journey. And by the way, I hate to break it to you, it will take a lifetime. So it's a really simple idea that many of us miss. Our goal is to grow and mature and carry on the work of Jesus. Because he is my teacher and this is the, the mission he's sending me on. So I can't cover all the teachings of Jesus in one message. Worship team, you guys can come on up. So here's some practical points that Jesus taught. I wrote them down. The first is the kingdom, in kingdom, greatness is measured by humility. You can't miss this. Greatness is measured by humility. 
The scripture says in Matthew, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him, placed the child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like the little children, meek and humble, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's your teacher speaking. I believe another echo that he spoke about that we miss all the time, all the time, all the time, is grace over judgment. John 8, there's a woman that was caught in adultery. They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. They said, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, you know the Torah, you know the Old Testament, you know the rules. If a woman is caught in adultery, we must stone her. Jesus flips the script and he, he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Then they kept on questioning him, straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest first, because they, they were oldest and had the most sin, obviously. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? I love this. This is, the, this is my rabbi, by the way. I hope you know. This is the one I follow. So if Jesus did this, I have to do it too. Like you don't have a cop out just because you know the Bible more than we do. You don't have, a, have to have a cop out just because you've gone to church just a little longer than we have. It does not matter in the kingdom of God. At this, those who, who heard went away. And in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? No one, has anyone condemned you? She said, no. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And notice he says that. Yes, it was grace, but he threw some truth in there too. Hey, woman, I love you. Go and sin. No more. You're forgiven. You're not condemned, but go and change and create a better future for yourself. The third is I believe that your words hold power. Jesus taught that. The rabbi taught that. It says in Matthew, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So stop speaking empty and speak full. For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. And the last... Oh, I'm sorry, there's another one. Earthly riches can hinder spiritual growth. Matthew 6 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate this one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Did you know that money is talked about more than love in the New Testament? And notice this. Timothy says, this, Paul says this in Timothy. He's basically saying, he's not saying money is the root of all evil. He's saying the love of money is the root. So Jesus had to make a point in that. When people would follow him, he'd say, give up everything then. Just come and follow me. You're rich. Give it all up. Come follow me. I can't do that. Ah, it's hard when you have money to follow Jesus, truly. The, the next is God cares more about your heart. Did you know that? He doesn't really care as, like how much understanding or truth or logic you have up in your brain. That's great. But if your heart doesn't match up to those things, it's not like Jesus is like, well, what are you doing? It says this in Matthew, you hypocrites, Jesus said. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
And the last is prayer in private brings power in public. This is what Jesus taught. He said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And I love this about Jesus. He could not stand the religious people of his day. Like these are direct attacks on the religious people. Like just imagine being a Pharisee and like being the one, one of those that like put Jesus on the cross and then later, a couple of years later, reading this in the book of Matthew and having to sit with that, that Jesus said that about me. Man, I gotta, I gotta change the way I, I posture my heart. I gotta change the way I pray. It shouldn't be, look at me, I'm puffed up. Hey, I pray all the time. By the way, I'm fasting right now. What about you? It's not about that for Jesus. It's not about that. It's a heart posture. He, say, he says, pray in private. Let the private prayer bring power in the public. Love to pray standing in the synagogues on the streets and the comers to see, to see you. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's my teacher. He taught me that. I got to live by that then. I got to walk that. I can't just say it and, and, and it'd be great, you know, that, that analogy, like practice what you preach. We have to if we're going to be true disciples, true apprentices of Jesus. And I'll end with this and we'll continue in worship. Jesus did not come to earth just to die. He came to teach us how to live. So wherever you're at right now, as we close and as we worship and as we press in, as you look back at your life, as you look in this moment, here and now, where are you? Who is your teacher? Who is your master? Who is your rabbi? And if you were to say it's Jesus and he's come to me and he's found me and he's called me, are you, are you fully walking that out? Do you desire to be fully trained or just partially trained? Because there's a process in all of this. There's a journey in all of this. And I would just encourage you just to, to sink in a little bit deeper. Jesus knows every worry and brokenness and every heartache. And he's calling you. He's wooing you. He's just saying, come and see. Just follow me and I'll show you. Because this thing, it's, it's caught. So you have to live life with me long enough to see what you're catching. I'm going to teach you. It's already there. You can be taught. It's in the scriptures. We just read about it. But you now have to live it out so that it catches your soul. And you live a life that is different. You live a calling that is on mission. You become missionaries to the Chino Valley. And that is the true call of Jesus. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, get this, you might be Matthew in this room. You might be a tax collector. <laughs> you might be looked down upon from everyone in the church, from, every, from people at home, from your brothers and your sisters. We do not care because Jesus did it. If he is my master, I must follow what he said to do because I want to eventually be like him. That was the true call of an apprentice. Eventually, Go for it now. I've taught you. I've seen you. You've learned it. You've lived it. You've passed the test. Go now and do such things. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are my apprentices, and you passed. Now go and live life in such a way where it's grace over judgment. 
And that is the true call of Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I'm on mission. I'm on mission. I love that about what Kanye said. It blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, he said it. He's like, I'm on mission now. You can say whatever you want, but I want to be on mission. But I want to live it out, though. I want to walk it out. I need people in my life. I need guys in my life. I need my wife. I need my parents. I need my community to call me, to nourish me, to say, hey, you missed something there. You were talking bad about that person. Hey, you missed something here. You spoke it wrong. It's love, Sammy. It's grace. It's not condemnation. It's not judgment. It's not casting down. It's lifting up. So we're not going to be that community. I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's not our call. Because my rabbi said it's not. Because my rabbi said it's not. Amen? Let's pray. And we'll finish off and worship Jesus. You know every person in this room. You know what they're going through. You know the problems. You know the issues. You know their past. You even know their future. And you're calling them to a greater future. And you're calling them to light their past on fire. Just throw it in the fire. Bury it up and walk away. Have the ceremony at the graveside of their past and walk away to a better future. And if that's you in this room and you were to say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to follow this teacher, I want to follow this rabbi, I am giving him my life. If that's you in this room, all I ask is that you would just raise your hand. That's it, just raise your hand. Like with true honesty, with true conviction, with true passion, I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be my rabbi. I want him to be my teacher. And if that's you and you've raised your hand, just repeat this after me. It's simple. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And it's a full journey ahead. And that's just the first conversation. There's many more conversations to be had with Jesus. We love you so much, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.